0: Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as he leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. As you may know, or uh, perhaps will remember from a sermon, um, a previous sermon, a Bronx tale is a coming-of-age story. It's a film set in an Italian-American neighborhood in the Bronx in the 1960s. It tells the true story of Sal Palmenteri, an uh, an actor who also uh, performed a a one-act, or a sort of one-person play telling his story, and that play became the movie, A Bronx Tale. And uh, Sal, as a young man, uh, went by C and C growing up in that Italian-American neighborhood in the Bronx in the 1960s, was really kind of pulled between Between the influences of his hardworking, law-abiding father, Lorenzo, and the local mob boss, Sonny, who had befriended him, who had befriended young C. He kind of lived with a foot in both of these worlds. And at the same time, he was living, as everyone was and his community was, through the social turbulence of the 1960s. The civil rights movement uh, was in full force, and that had created social change, as well as a lot of social turbulence, uncertainty, anxiety. And um, so there's a scene in which C is with a group of his friends sitting on their corner in their neighborhood, hanging out, talking, cutting up, just having fun together, when a small group of young black men go riding bicycles by on a street in their Italian American neighborhood. The sight of these young black men riding their bicycles through this Italian-American na- neighborhood is surprising. Um, it's a little bit confusing. And C, along with his friends, is kind of surprised, um, a little bit confused. He kind of looks at these young guys on their bikes riding on their street past their corner. But one of his friends is more than surprised. He's outraged. He His face gets red and tight. What are they doing here? Who do they think they are? They think they can do anything they want to. C tries to calm them down. Why are you getting so upset? They're not hurting anybody. They're not bothering me. Well, they're bothering me, says his friend. And with that, he gets up, runs onto the street, and punches one of the young guys riding by. The rest of the group is immediately up from their corner and running onto the street as well. And they physically grab C and pull him into the street and into the fight. It's a fight that he does not at all want to be in. He doesn't want to be in that fight in part because he is Lorenzo's son. Lorenzo drives a bus, a city bus, and his father has taught him that you treat everyone the same, just the way he treats the people who ride his bus. He picks up people from all different neighborhoods in the city and he treats everyone on his bus exactly the same because they're all on the bus. C wants no part of this fight in part because he's Lorenzo's son and he's been taught, he's been told, he's been shown how to treat everyone the same, but also because C has a crush on a classmate who is black. He really does not want to be in this fight, but his friends force him into it. He ends up trying to kind of be present without actually fighting by holding one of the young black men on the ground and pleading with him, don't resist, I won't hurt you, just lay there, don't fight me, I won't hit you. How many of us feel a little bit like C, or maybe a lot like C, pulled into a fight that we don't really want to be in? We live in a deeply conflicted time, and our world is divided up, and even our church is divided up into what seem to be and feel like warring factions. And maybe like C, on that street corner on that particular day, we don't really feel what others are feeling. We don't feel the anger. We don't feel the rage. We don't want to be part of the verbal violence and maybe even physical violence that increasingly marks our deeply divided country. How many of us feel a little bit like, see, there is this fight going on, and we can kind of talk about the parties. There are liberals and conservatives, evangelicals and progressives, Democrats and Republicans. There are uh, city people and rural people, all sorts of conflict, and it seems to be getting more intense, and a lot of us, and maybe even most of us who are here this morning, online this morning, don't really want to be in the fight. We don't feel the rage that others feel. I mean, if we're honest, all of us kind of have definite tendencies, leanings. We identify more strongly with one group than another. Some of us are more liberal, others more conservative. Some of us might identify more as evangelical Christians or others more progressive Christians. We have definite tendencies, but that doesn't mean we want to be part of any fights that are going on. That doesn't mean that we see other people as the enemy. It certainly doesn't mean we want to be involved in anything really sort of divisive and dividing. We'd love to find a way for people to get along despite differences and perhaps even celebrate them. The believers and churches, well, the question this morning I really want to ask is, can we live in this world, in this deeply divided world, without taking sides? Can we live in this world without taking sides? The believers and churches to whom uh, Peter wrote the words we have heard really did feel, in many ways, were the guys on the bikes. They were viewed with hostility, treated with hostility more and more. At the beginning of the letter, uh, Peter refers to them as aliens and exiles, and that may actually have referred to their actual status in their broader society. They may not have been natives to the cities and places where they lived at that time, but it might also just refer to how they felt and were treated by their neighbors, by their non-Christian neighbors who viewed them with suspicion, who were asking of each other, who are they? What are they doing here? They don't belong here. They were viewed with deep suspicion. And Peter refers later in the letter to the fiery trial that they are going through. Some of you remember from a couple weeks ago, I said it's very unlikely that what they were experiencing was official state-sponsored persecution. More likely it was just hostility, suspicion, boycotts, and shaming from their non-Christian neighbors and i want to repeat just a little bit of what i said then just to make sure we're all on the same page i mean they 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 were being treated in that way viewed in that way precisely because of their faith in jesus because the expectation in that time and in that place is that whatever gods you worship whatever temple you went to you would also in addition worship the greek and roman gods and bow before caesar I mean, the belief was that Rome was great because they had blessed the gods and the gods had blessed them. And into that kind of culture, you have this small group of people who worship only one God, who bow before a crucified man, and they won't bow before the emperor, and they won't offer sacrifices in any other temples all of which in the eyes and hearts of their neighbors meant they were inviting the wrath of the gods, the curse of the gods. And so they were viewed and treated like those young guys on the bicycles. You don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. And they were increasingly treated with hostility. Can we... And, and so the words that Peter speaks to them by, really have to do with that kind of a setting, that kind of a context. They don't live in a peaceful world; they live in a conflicted world, a deeply divided world. And what Peter says to them might be shocking to our ears. We've already heard it, but we want to hear. I want to hear it again. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay. With a blessing. In other words, payback is a blessing. Payback with a blessing. How could Peter say that? Doesn't he know that will just make them doormats? People will just walk all over them if they don't stand up and fight for themselves. If they don't fight fire with fire, if they just turn the other cheek, they'll get beat up. Was Peter just inviting them, encouraging them, setting them up to be doormats for Jesus, to be walked all over by their their non-Christian neighbors? I mean, let's be honest. It's one thing to say in church, do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse. It's another thing altogether to do that in real life. And however much we want to be treated in that way, it is difficult to treat others in that way. And there are lots of people in the church as well as outside the church who feel like they have been the guys on the bike, and now it's the time to be the guys from the street. The ones who go on attack, who fight for their territory. Don't be a doormat. Don't turn the other cheek. Fight fire with fire. Is Peter, Was Peter calling them to be doormats for Jesus? Is that the word of God for us in this place at this time? Can we live in this world without actually taking sides and joining in the fight? When Peter said, Don't repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing, he was not inviting them, and the Spirit is not inviting us to be doormats for Jesus. Instead, we're invited to have the mind and heart of Jesus. I mean, that's the first part of the passage. Before he says, Don't repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse. What he says is that they should have one spirit or one mind. They should have sympathy for one another. They should love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. They should be tender hearted and of humble mind. He sets that up, and it's really quite striking. It's beautiful. It's an ancient kind of way of. Of making a statement. It's called a chiasm, where you have kind of statements that mirror each other. He has five adjectives that he uses to describe how they should be in the world, how they can be in a deeply divided world without picking sides. The first and fifth words have to do with our minds. The second and fourth words have to do with our emotions, and the middle has everything to do with love. Be of one mind and have a humble mind. Be sympathetic and tender-hearted. Love one another as siblings in Christ. In other words, as we follow Jesus through hostile territory in a deeply divided world, we must always be armed with nothing but love. We must always be armed with nothing but love. It's when we have the mind of Christ, that's the mind that we need to have, the humility of Jesus— the love of Christ, the sympathy of Christ, the tender heart of Christ, when we have the mind and heart of Christ in us, then we become a people who don't repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse, but instead pay back with a blessing. Peter wasn't calling, and the Spirit's not calling us in this place and this time to be doormats for Jesus, but neither are we called to fight fire with fire and just get into the fight and pick sides and hit hard. Instead, we're invited to have the heart and mind of Christ and always pay back with a Blessing. In AD 165, uh, Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was martyred for his faith. The bishop of Smyrna, which was one of the churches to which Peter was writing, and so we're talking about 100 years later. Polycarp was born in AD 70, and according to early church records, he actually was a disciple of the Apostle John. So he knew the eyewitnesses and was discipled by the disciples, which I find just fascinating and wonderful and beautiful. There was, after a pagan festival in Smyrna in 165, there was a sort of great public uproar and outcry against the atheists, which meant Christians. And there was a calling for the head of Polycarp, and so soldiers were sent to arrest the 86-year-old bishop of Smyrna. The soldiers sent to arrest him eventually found Polycarp in a village on the outskirts of town. It was late at night when they arrived to arrest him. Because it was so late and the the journey back into the city would take some time, Polycarp asked that a meal be prepared and served to the soldiers who would come to arrest him. That was done, and so they shared a meal together. And then the bishop asked the soldiers if they wouldn't mind if he took a little bit of time to to pray before they took him. And they said that would be okay. And so he, he prayed at length for the people of Smyrna and for the believers in that city and for the soldiers who would come to arrest him. He was eventually taken back into the city and he was brought before the crowds and before the governor who demanded that he curse Christ and live. And Polycarp said, for six and 80 years I have served him and he has never done me any wrong. So how can I blaspheme the king who saved me? And he was executed. Polycarp's story and others like it recur again and again and again in the early church. The early Christians did not fight fire with fire. They did not repay evil with evil, abuse with abuse. They paid back instead with a blessing, and they were martyred, and yet the church grew. The faith spread. People kept coming to faith in Christ. They were anything but doormats. They were defiant in their own way. They would pray for the emperor. They would obey the emperor. They just would not bend the knee to the emperor. How can we be in this world, follow Jesus through this deeply divided world without taking sides? We can pay back God's grace with grace. We can pay back the blessing of God by blessing others. We can have the mind and heart of Christ, sharing one mind, a humble mind, sympathizing with each other, feeling with and for each other, being tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, and loving each other as siblings in Christ. We can bear witness To this unrelenting love of God and not blaspheme the King who saves us. Let's pray. Yeah, we live in confusing times, kind of frightening times, and we feel pulled between family members and friends, neighbors, um, and God, sometimes strangers who just insist that we pick sides and that we be as angry as they are, as outraged as they are, and in the midst of that all, Jesus comes to us and invites us to follow, to have his heart and his mind, to be filled with his love and sent in mission to the world that he loved so much that he gave himself up on the cross for us and for all form and shape us in that image arm us at all times with nothing but love for jesus in jesus name amen thanks again for joining us we hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith hope and love Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at CanonUMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424